0: Hey, listening audience, welcome back to Noggin Notes. I'm your host, Jake Wiskirchen, and I'm really excited about this particular interview. I talked to a gal named Gwen Taylor, who is the executive director of EXCEPT. And EXCEPT is an acronym, and it stands for Access for Community and Cultural Education Programs and Training. It sounds like a mouthful. But they started their mission a long time ago to help educate and inspire awareness for people of color, specifically black people in Northern Nevada, and then eventually broader Nevada about HIV and AIDS. And as Gwen will explain in the interview, there's a big problem as far as disproportionate uh, affliction of HIV and AIDS to minority communities, specifically the African-American community, and how they're going to try to get those folks not only aware of what's going on, but into care. I learned a ton. Um, I've talked to Gwen a few times now and her team, and they they actually came and gave a training at Zephyr, which is one of our sponsors. As you know, if you've listened to to our podcast for a while now, Zephyr Wellness is um, a local outpatient counseling agency here in Nevada that I co-own and you can go to zephyrwellness.org and find out more. Also follow us on all the the social media stuff and get free content, um, you know, that helps enhance your life. Hopefully, hopefully I'm putting it out there (laughs) in the idea that, uh, or with the idea, I should say that that people are are absorbing this stuff and implementing it into their lives, but uh, they came and gave a training to Zephyr and Zephyr's clinicians so that we can work hand in hand with what Accept is doing with their patients, and we can help uh those patients recover mentally from this chronic illness. So I'm really excited and I also need to give a hat tip to our other sponsor uh, they've been awesome audible. If you're not familiar with audible go to audibletrial.com/ Naga notes. you can sign up for a free 30day trial during which period you can download a free audiobook and keep it even if you decide to cancel your membership. But you probably won't, because most of us enjoy Audible. We like audio books. Uh, we can Bluetooth them through our mobile devices and our in our cars, and while we're mowing the lawn and all sorts of things. So, go to audibletrialcom notes and get your free 30-day trial. Get access to their uh, really awesome, overwhelmingly impressive library of audio content, and get a free book while you're at it. audibletrialcom notes. and then if you haven't heard. Um, I also co-host a podcast called Guns and Mental Health. Now, you may not be in a part of the world where guns are important. You may not uh, own guns. You may not care about guns. But guns and mental health, as cultures, have long stood opposed to each other, not really uh, talking. And so our organization, Walk the Talk America, is trying to bridge that gap by pulling people from the fringes back into the center. And our mission is to prevent otherwise preventable incidents of um, injury and death, you know, what we call negative outcomes associated with irresponsible gun storage, gun ownership, that kind of thing. And then also dealing with suicide because suicide by firearm is a big deal and it largely goes unaddressed in the gun community. And the flip side of that coin is that the clinical community doesn't know much about guns. So we're trying to pull everybody together. If you go to WTTA.org or specifically WTTA.org slash love, You can take a free and anonymous mental health screening so there's multiple ways that you can benefit yourself one check in your own mental health by going to the website but also two, download and listen the podcast that i co-host with wtta's founder michael sudini mike's amazing and i think we produce a pretty good podcast there's been a lot of really cool guests and we have some pretty deep conversations um, pretty emotional sometimes and i think they're really illustrative I highly encourage you to, to follow us there and, and give us a listen if you'd like to. So that's the Guns of Mental Health podcast. Walk the Talk America is the organization. Zephyr Wellness is our other sponsor that uh, does both. We're just trying to push this stuff out in the community so people get healthy, right? Um, that's, that's the point of all this is that we want to live among people who are mentally well, and we can avoid all the... This stuff like you know abuse and neglect and violence that come along with not being mentally well so if we can all learn to love each other a little bit more and we can do that through promoting free content like this then we'll make the world a better place in the meantime i really hope you enjoy my interview with gwen taylor who leads and runs and founded except here in reno and if you're in, so inspired maybe you can do the same thing in your own community I wish you all a very Merry Christmas. I know this is posting on Christmas week of 2020, and have a wonderful, wonderful holiday season. Welcome to Gwen Taylor, who is the, are you the Executive Director? Yes. Oh, accept, and uh, thank you for saying that. Uh, how are you this mm-hmm. afternoon, ma'am?
1: Good, Jake. Honored to be here with you. Thank you so much.
0: The honor's mine. Uh yeah, for the listening audience, I'll let you introduce yourself a little bit more lengthy here in a second, but uh, you run this okay. organization called accept and they will have already heard my two to three minute introduction <laughs> before, before this interview. But um, okay. please tell us what, what accept is. And then also like how it came to be and a little bit about yourself and your background. Cause you have a, you have a fascinating history.
1: Okay. Thank you so much. Um, the history of accept is a, um, My husband was a a local, he's still a local pastor in Reno, Nevada, and back in um, the early 90s, two parishioners died from HIV, AIDS-related illnesses, and they were members of our church, but no one in the church wanted to tell us that they died of AIDS and HIV-related illnesses. So my pastor was very upset because these two young men died by themselves. And so he said, this can't keep happening. And then on a personal note, my sister um, married a young man and then found out that he was bisexual. And they finally got a divorce. And he went down to L.A. and he passed away uh, with full-blown AIDS. And he was, oh, my gosh, he was only like maybe 38 39, probably not even that, but mid thirties. And so that was so devastating. So my husband decided that we needed to do some educational outreach in Reno because people had such stigmas against the disease and, you know, nobody wanting to tell us, and it's just too much. So he decided to start going to, we went to beauty shops, barber shops, churches, uh, different community venues where every, anyone would hear our talk. And at that time we were targeting African-Americans because back in 1999 uh, 95 excuse me when we started doing the outreach um, nationwide African Americans accounted for 52 percent of all the HIV/ AIDS cases and, and back then we were like twelve percent of the uh, population so even even t- in 2020 Jake I was just re- uh, looking over at the new stats in 2018 of all the new infections African Americans made up 42 percent of those. And we are 14% of the population. So the disparities of health is is not going down. So by us being such a small part of the population, um, we call CDC calls that a um, it's a disproportionate rate of infection. So like you have 76% um, of white people that live in the United States, but they only accounted for okay, my little notes here, they accounted for um, uh, let's see 17% oh no um of the new infection. so it's just kind of crazy um that this is a like of with african gay and bisexual men but we were you know 25% and then they were um they were uh seventeen percent, so these are this is like a, a subpopulation of the African American community, but overall we were thirty seven percent of all the of the new cases in twenty eighteen and so things are kind of like two years behind so that's the reason we got started
0: and what is it that you do as an organization
1: we when we began back in ninety five we were doing mostly prevention work. we would talk about how you get it, how you don't get it. We would, uh, you know, do prevention work and try to advocate for people wearing condoms and getting, um, you know, tests for uh, 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 STDs. I think they call them STIs now. But um, and that that was our for that was like from ninety five to ninety nine. That's basically what we did. We did prevention work, how not to get it. Well, the government decided in the early two thousands. They figured, well, you know what? We need to reach people that have HIV so they can quit spreading it. So right now, our organization, we do secondary prevention. So we work with people that have HIV and AIDS. Uh, We work with them to make sure they stay uh, medically adherent to to their medicines. And if they do take their medicines as they are told to take them, they will eventually become what we call undetectable. So our, our quest right now is to serve people that have HIV, make sure they're undetectable, and then just orchestrate, help them orchestrate their life. We're not a medical facility, but we are a non-medical case management. So if they need help with any type of social services, like they, they need to go to social security, get their social security cards, if they lost their driver's license, we'll help them with all that, in addition to the services that our funder funds us to do. And I can go into that too in more detail if you'd like.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of what we try to do here on the show is to not only obviously spread information, and, mm-hmm. but we also want to inspire people and encourage people that not only are programs available, maybe maybe you're not in the local Reno area, that's fine, but hearing mm-hmm. a story like yours might spark somebody to to go do something in their own community, right? Mm-hmm. So um, now I can proudly say that we've officially launched Noggin Notes Africa, and um, uh who i interviewed on the show several weeks ago he's he's hosting that show so it's possible now that you know as the the podcast spreads more populations across the globe really can be inspired to do similar things in their own community so yeah i would like to talk about the funding stream because that's a little unique i think to the united states given how it started but it doesn't mean that anybody else can't do it and certainly within the u.s can certainly access it right so yeah talk about the ryan white stuff and and where you get your money and and all that
1: Absolutely. Yeah, We are, uh, 95% of our funding comes from the Ryan White program. And I'll tell you a little bit about the young man named Ryan White. He was an actual uh, young um, Caucasian kid that got um, HIV through a blood transfusion when he was 13 years old. And he was bullied at school. Kids would beat him up, talk about him, and they were afraid. And so his mother finally had to take him out of school. And because there was so much bullying and so much discontent, so much stigma around this little kid trying to go to school, his mother decided to start a nonprofit called Ryan White. And at that time, they were advocacy education nonprofit, where they would talk to people, educate them. You know, you can go to school with my child. You know, if he he bumps into you, you're not going to get HIV. But back in the, man, I'm telling you, back in the early 90s, people were just scared stiff of HIV, and so his mother began to advocate and for several years, and then Ryan White died, um, I believe it was in 1990, so he lived to be 18. And he, um, I think I said he got it through a blood transfusion, but um, after um, the government saw what a great work she did, they decided soon after his death to pass the Ryan White Care Act, which funded money to different organizations to prevent this disease and, you know, to um, help those that have HIV and AIDS. So that's how the Ryan White Fund got started. And they fund um, all the United States – and, and Puerto Rico, different, you know, parts. And so every state um, gets Ryan White funding. And a lot of the funding is predicated upon the uh, population basis of how much money you get. So uh, we, get a, we get a pretty good amount for, um, for the Ryan White funding um, in Nevada. So we're small, so we, we're one of the smaller grantees, but we're still able to do a great work with the money that they give us. So clients served uh, by the Ryan White funding in the United States uh, in, um, the, in the three territories is about 530,000 people. Now, there's more people than that with HIV-AIDS, but some of them don't access the service. So that's um, another thing that we're trying to um, get a handle on. And this is kind of interesting. So by race and ethnicity, this is really interesting to me, 47% of the people that um, access Ryan White funding are African-Americans, 26.3% are Black, uh, excuse me, are, are Caucasian, and 23.2% are Hispanic. And then you have your um, your Asians, um, they're uh, one4 and Native Americans are point. Let's see. I think point oh five, and multiple races are point oh two, and then one point four would be. Um, oh, I already said the Asian uh, population. So it's kind of it's kind of interesting. The bulk of the population, which is African Americans, and then the bulk, um, you know, get the, the have the most of the funding from the Ryan White program. Now, I, I am talking a lot about African-Americans, but I want your audience to know that we do not discriminate with our services. We have white uh, folks in our services, Hispanic people, uh, Asian. so there's, we don't discriminate. Even though we target, we don't discriminate, and that's been one of the things that we really want to reiterate in this.
0: I appreciate that, and I want to steer back to the, the disproportionate population of people with HIV and AIDS compared mm-hmm. to the population uh, demographic itself. So it, we're hearing a lot of these days about, uh, systemic racism and how racism is everywhere and, and you can't escape it. And, and depending on who you talk to, there's greater or lesser interpretations of that. And it seems to be on a, on a continuum and a flow, but mm-hmm. what is your take on that? I mean, like in, in my mind, it seems like simple oppression, you know, historical oppression and racism mm-hmm. can't account for all of it. Um, mm-hmm. but maybe it does. I, I don't, I'm having trouble wrapping my head around it. Cause I know there's also suspicion deeply ingrained, which obviously stems from racist practices. Uh, so mm-hmm. I don't know how much of that, you know, we, we should tilt toward today versus like, Hey, let's, let's just get information out, you know, and or mm-hmm. how do we fight mm-hmm. the battle simultaneously? So help a, help a white dude understand.
1: <laughs> no, that that's an excellent question because, um, a lot. Some. I'm going to give you some of three re, uh, three reasons. Um, that the, that the that the epidemic is is high in the African American community, and you hit the nail on the head. Socioeconomical issues. So, the poverty rate among African Americans is high. Socioeconomic issues associated with poverty, including limited access to high quality health care, housing. HIV prevention education and directly and indirectly increase the risk of uh, HIV infection and affect the health of those living with HIV at the risk and at risk for HIV. So these factors may explain why African Americans have some worse outcomes on the HIV continuum of care, including lower rates of linkage to care. And then they don't have um, a lot of, they don't have, you know, as much viable suppression because they're not taking their medication. So if you don't take your medication, you're not going to have viral load suppression. And then another thing about African-Americans is there's the stigma, the fear, the discrimination, and the homophobia, that might prevent them from accessing HIV prevention care and services. And then one in seven black African-Americans are unaware they have it. Now that's kind of scary. They don't, they don't get tested. They don't know. I knew this one young man who's African-American young man that uh, went to our church and he got real sick. He joined the service and he got very sick and then he, they didn't know what was wrong with him. So they finally decided to do an HIV test. And when they tested him his um t cell count which are you know their their t cell count is, is what helps you uh, fight your immune system right. so normal people have between 700 800 t cells in their body this young man had less than 200 so when you get less than 200 um uh t cells in your body you have full blown aids okay that's why he was so sick. But now I tell you what, if you saw him today, you wouldn't know he had HIV. He looks so healthy. I mean, he almost died, but right, he got on his antiviral uh, medications, and he's doing wonderful. And he's he's what we call undetectable, which means the HIV is there, but it's undetectable. So you can't pass it to anyone if you're undetectable, but we still encourage wearing condoms just in case, you know, so... Pretty safe that you can't, you cannot pass it. And then um, African Americans, believe it or not, men and women have higher rates of some sexually transmitted diseases. So um, more so than other um, racial uh, ethnicities. And if you have an STD or an STI, as some people call it, you are more susceptible of getting HIV. And spreading it if you have an HIV if you have a um, an STD because your immune system is compromised by the by the um, STDs and then if HIV comes into play you're more susceptible to getting it. Yeah,
0: you're too busy so fighting those, off those the, the other stuff. Those are some
1: of the reasons.
0: Yeah, too yeah. busy fighting off the other stuff. So uh, let's talk a little bit about why that's the case. Why why is that population carrying so many? STIs uh, in addition to the HIV AIDS thing. What what is it about uh, African? I know we say African American, but I'm also curious if Mm -hmm. the non-African descent black population experiences the same type of thing, Caribbean Mm -hmm. Islanders, that kind of thing.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, they are sexually active, and I'm not sure if they're more sexually active than than any other community, but we have more STIs, STDs, because they don't get tested. So they don't know they have it where you have um, your other populations are going to probably be tested more because they have better health care. And so if you go to the doctor, you're going to say, doctor, I want to be tested for this, this and this. And your insurance covers it. So you're good. But if you're uh, if you're compromised because you have, uh, you know, not maybe no insurance at all, Or you're underinsured, or the insurance you may have may not pay for these, then and they don't sometimes we don't seek out the county where you can get free testing. So it's just kind of like you know, you're if you're unaware that you have this and you're not getting treated for it, then you're going to be susceptible to that because you really don't know you have it.
0: So as I'm hearing you uh, say this stuff, it, it sounds really overwhelming. You got multiple uh, factors that are acting as obstructions to, to getting care and and really solving this problem. So let me see in order. We've got education, we've got, you know, education awareness, we've got socioeconomic factors. So, uh, people of lower income, uh, who live in poverty, often generational or chronic, Um, then people who typically live in those conditions don't have access to health care. And if they do, it's not very high quality care and it's certainly not comprehensive. So Mm -hmm. let's, let's pretend that we, we fight through the stigma and we, we get a whole bunch, we do a massive marketing campaign to like inner city schools or something, right? We start with the youth and we go, all right, in in the next five to 10 years, we're going to, we're going to really move the needle on this. Um, and we teach everybody and we say, it's okay to go, go get tested. Well, then it's a matter of where do we get tested? <laughs> Let's pretend we have that solved and we get a bunch of testing uh, ability out there. Then mm-hmm. they go, go get tested and holy cow, we find out that uh, we, we're carrying diseases that can be treated. Okay. Right. Mm-hmm. Then how do we get them treated? Because that's a matter of health care access, medication, doctors, so forth. Um, mm-hmm. It seems like you'd get really overwhelmed at some point and almost like want to like throw your hands in the air and say, this is an impossible battle because of all the, all the obstacles. But what, what do you do, and how do you, you know, set your forehead like Flint, so to speak, and, and keep pushing forward? Where do you find your inspiration? What do you tackle first um, without uh, getting that, that sense of just overwhelming disappointment?
1: Right, oh, well, disappointment and burnout. Yeah. Well, you know, one thing that Ryan White did for us, like, last year, there was a big push um, with the federal government to do a minority AIDS initiative program. So uh, here's here, so all um, um, Ryan White um, uh, funded well the, the states that received Ryan White funding were mandated to reach out to minorities that had once had treatment but then and then dropped it. So we were we were able to call every minority in the in the state. Wow. that had uh, no no type of insurance, and then tried try to reach them that way. And we got quite a few back into care in, in the Las Vegas area and the Reno area because we were, we were dealing with both of them. And then another thing is, is trying to get these people into care is, like, we try to empower pastors when we mm-hmm. were doing a lot of prevention work to tell their people, because um, African Americans love church. Most of us do. Mm-hmm. Well, I would say a good majority does. And they, they do, over the pulpit, they do honor what pastors tell them. So in our church, uh, when we were doing prevention work, we did a lot of testing events at our church. And our pastor, um, my husband is a pastor, he actually got an HIV test in the pulpit. And that was, and we tested more people that day, I think, than we had ever tested ever. Maybe That's 50, 60, Yeah. Yeah. And it was funny because when he was taking the, um, when you take the HIV test, the nurse or the person giving the test have to ask you a bunch of questions, you know. <laughs> right. When was your when was your last encounter? So the nurse sexually encountered. So the nurse, like when she when she got, she kind of froze up when she got to some of those questions. Have you had how many partners have you had in the last 60 days? <laughs> it was so hilarious because she was, you could see, she was so embarrassed. She was yeah. from Washoe County, asking my husband all these questions, but he answered them so the pop, so our conversation congregation could see it's not as bad as you think you know right, what i'm saying right so that's one way that we try to um de-stigmatize even having hiv testing and then be a part being a part of community um outreaches like there is an african-american um <laughs> celebration that um we we call juneteenth that the northern yep. nevada um it's called nepkis um, and they they put it on um, Northern Nevada Black Cultural and Aware Society, and we we do it every June, but, of course, this past June we weren't able to do it because of the pandemic. But um, we usually have testing there. Um, Northern Nevada HOPES does our testing. So we try to reach these populations where they are, um, and that, that seems to have worked down through the years.
0: That's super cool. So it, it sounds like you've done a really good job of helping the – the faith leaders for sure to, to shake off some of their own, uh, maybe hesitations and stigmas. And obviously your, your husband is doing a great job setting that example. It sounds really similar to the, the fear and the stigma that pervade the the mental health profession. Same, same type of deal. I don't want, I don't want to be vulnerable. I don't want to admit that I've, you know, (laughs) fouled up or whatever. And, um, Mm -hmm. and if you have somebody at the head of the the church, you know, behind the, the podium or whatever saying, Hey, I, I'm going to show you how this is doing and modeling that type of vulnerability and willingness, then it inspires other people maybe to, to take a look at themselves. That's really commendable. That's super cool. Um, I guess, I guess what I'm wondering is you, you got a lot of church going people who in, you know, let's face it. I mean, real big religion tends to be pretty judgmental and, and stifles yeah. a lot of open dialogue. And then you got the the homophobia, right? So one of the yeah. things I've wrestled with in my own spiritual walk, and I know I've, I've had a really good experience with my own pastor, you know, helping shepherd us through this, but, you know, not rank ordering sins, so to speak, where it's like, you know, homosexuality is at the top of the list, but alcoholism, we won't talk about. <laughs> so um, how do how do you go about working through the faith community to, to push that message of non-judgmentalism Along with self-care, like what are the words or phrases that that a person listening might be able to use or take away or implement into their own life if they're going to go pick up this, this, uh, this banner and start carrying it?
1: Mm -hmm. You know what, what we like to relate HIV to is, um, and you, you being a, a, a Christian man, you've heard of the leprosy. And Mm -hmm. you heard about when Jesus healed the 10 leopards. He said, Hey, I mean, he wasn't afraid of them. He loved them. He healed them. And then he said, um, since you've now you've been healed, you know, go back and show your priests what happened. And so I was thinking about, in fact, I was thinking about that this morning. So what, what, what my husband and I teach, we, we love the person. We're not the judges. I mean, I was brought up very strict Pentecostal, very, very strict Pentecostal, where everything was a sin, you know, wearing a swimming yeah. suit was a sin. Yeah. So, um, we, we have to work with these people, but what we try to do Jake is we sometimes, you know, and we can't, and and, and people have, um, they have the right to believe they want to, the way they want to believe, but we believe that God loves all people, heterosexual, homosexual, gay, straight, black, white, And so we let, you know, we let Jesus be the judge. So we're not trying to be the judge. We're trying to help these people and and, then show them the love of Christ. We maybe we not we may not agree with everything they do, everything they say, they don't agree with everything we do or say, but we just try to show the love of Christ to them. And by doing that, you build trust. And then you never know what happens down the road. Once you build that trust. You're able to talk to them. But um, at Accept, we, we cannot, we, because we, now, I, I wanted to tell you about this, too. We started the organization through our church, but we did become our own uh, separate 501C3 in 1999. So we're not really able to, you know, just run up to a person and, and start talking about the Lord. But I, I can tell you down through the years, so many people have come to me for prayer. You know, Mm -hmm. so many of my clients and then that just kind of opens up a door. Oh, yeah, I'll pray for you. And we'll you know, we agree in prayer for God to do some things for you. So that that's kind of how we handle it. And, you know, but, you know, every pastor has their own like I like one time when I was doing prevention work. I told the pastors, I said, now, I do have condoms, but I have to ask. I said, do you want me to bring the condoms or do you not want me to bring the condoms? So the majority said, no, don't bring your condoms because we don't believe in premarital sex. Mm -hmm. But however, they have a lot of people sitting up in church that are pregnant that are not married.
0: Right, right, right.
1: So, you know, you try to address it, but you try to, you you know, you try to walk that fine line so you don't, you know, so you don't upset the pastor, but you really try to say, well, look, we know you don't, um, you know, believe in premarital sex, but on this hand, you have quite a, you know, you have some young women in your church that are pregnant and they don't have husbands. So, you know, yeah. what's, what's the worst scenario, having them put on a condom or having them having a baby that may not really be wanted. So that, that's the other thing that we just, you know, try to walk that fine line with too.
0: It is yeah. tough to, to hold a, a message of love and acceptance and unconditional positive regard without mm-hmm. setting an agenda. You know, it's, it's right. really hard to, to do that. And, and again, you know, real similarities with the counseling profession where we may have our own head full of beliefs on how people should live their lives. Uh, you know, when they're coming to us for help, it's like, just stop dating the guy who's beating you. <laughs> it's like, but we don't get yeah, to tell yeah, them that.
1: Yeah, Exactly. No, that's very true. Yeah.
0: Do you worry about, very. you know, given the fact that you're using federal funding and all this, and it has its uh, roots in, in faith-based, intervention. Do you worry about the community coming after you guys going, Hey, you're proselytizing people with public funds. Like, has that ever happened or do you care?
1: Boy, wait, I'm going I'm, to I'm tell you something, Jake, you may not know this, but um, Ryan White state of Nevada uh, started a, a, a Nevada faith and health coalition a year ago. I had my daughter and I had started the Northern Nevada faith based coalition Oh wow, back in 2015. And we, and our focus at that time was on substance abuse and trying to get some grants so we could reach out to young people. Um, and that was uh, a, a, a grant through SAPTA, the Substance Abuse, uh, you know what it is, but I'll to Prevention Treatment Agency, yep, yep Treatment They're Agency. Federal. Yep. Mm hmm. So we were trying to get funding through SAPTA. And then there was another federal program that funded coalitions to do the work. So we tried for years, but it's so competitive. It's like maybe one per state, if that. And so um, we kept trying and we never got the grant. So about five or six years later, I decided Well, when the state came to me and said they wanted to start their own faith coalition, I was just really (laughs) surprised. So the state of Nevada Ryan White program has a Nevada faith and health coalition where they deal with HIV and AIDS. Right now we're dealing with the um, the uh, coronavirus pandemic and other health issues and disparities that affect, you know, people in general, poor people, black people, people of color. Um, you know, low-income, uh, other ethnicities. So we're tackling that right now. So to me, that's a real big step for the state to come and take that, that sort of precedence. Now, some people don't like it. I, I, have, I shouldn't say some people, a few people, you know, because they think you're trying to do that, uh, that you're not separating church and state. Right. But unless church and state work together, some of these communities you're not going to reach.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I
1: applaud the Ryan White program in the state of Nevada for uh, starting that type of coalition. But we do more than just HIV AIDS. We do a lot of health disparities working with um, with the faith community.
0: That's cool. And I'm glad you segued that for me into coronavirus and covid. Uh, What are you guys seeing now with regard to people who have this uh, very uh, difficult, chronic illness of HIV, uh, you know, that, that makes them. Predisposed to other illnesses because their their bodies are so busy, you know, fighting off this this other thing. How has mm-hmm. that played in to, to your organization's efforts and and the outcomes and the and the receptiveness to what you're you're pitching?
1: Right, the coronavirus is really it's something because a lot of our clients, um, because their their immune system is compromised, even though they might be undetectable, they still have to be careful, you know, so that they, that they don't get the disease. So. A lot of our, well, most of our clients now do not come to the office. They, we do uh, telehealth, you know, we, we work with them over Zoom or over the telephone and provide them services that way. But the pandemic, and I was just reading this article globally, it's it, this, I thought this was interesting. This has come from the, the HIV uh, UN of AIDS, and it says, the United Nations Program of HIV and AIDS warns that stigma and discrimination among marginalized populations are driving both the AIDS crisis and the COVID-19 uh, crisis and must be tackled and eliminated to end what official call the dual colliding pandemic we have not i haven't seen a lot of the dual um colliding pandemic with my clients but i'm sure there's probably that colliding effect in a lot of the the larger cities and in um, in other places that we we may not see it, but I thought that was interesting that that really you know when you got the coronavirus and you have HIV and AIDS that that that's a collision course you do not want to take.
0: Minority communities, in my experience, tend to be pretty conservative with regard to their suspicion of government, um, and I'm wondering if there's now like a doubling down of that with all the misinformation that's been spread about the disease itself. I mean, COVID-19, um, Mm -hmm. and also the the treatments, uh, are you, are you seeing more resistance to care because of that overlay now with all the, the, the fighting and the divisiveness and all that stuff? Or is it more like, man, we got a lot of stuff that we need to figure out. This is the time now to move forward and, and, you know, Trust medical professionals as opposed to you know whatever the government may be pulled by you know whatever strings or whatever. Or, or, or like wh- where's that going? Is it getting worse or better? Or, I don't know.
1: Um, maybe I, I don't, don't even think know it's what I'm asking. Worse, but it's kind of well, maybe a little bit. But it's we we work also with uh, the the Nevada Minority AIDS Council. And the lady, she resides in Las Vegas, but she she takes care of the whole state. And so she partnered with one of the uh, pharmaceutical companies, and they did a study. So I participated in the study, and then we we try we recru- recruited other. They did a study for in the African American community and one in the Hispanic community to see exactly what they thought about the virus and what they thought about the vaccine. So it was very interesting okay. um, with the African American community. The, the big thing that came up was the Tuskegee, um, you know, sure. problem that yeah, happened yeah. <laughs> when, when syphilis came out. They, take this vaccine.
0: You know, it, I promise it doesn't have syphilis this time.
1: Right. <laughs> so that was one of the things that came up because um, they're non-trusting. And so some of the, um, some of the dialogue that, that took place was that, hey, you know what? I'm going to wait and see if this vaccine works before I take it. But that was across... You know the because this particular um, survey that was done or this study that was done was done primarily for African Americans and Hispanics. So I'm not sure, and I'm sure there's surveys done with uh, Caucasian people too, but I'm not just not privy to that information at this time. And then on the Hispanic side, one of our Hispanic pastors, we had our Faith Based Coalition meeting last night, and one of the things he was saying um, was well, he's a prominent pastor in Reno, and he was saying a lot of his drawback for the um the coronavirus vac- vaccination is that a lot of his congregation is undocumented right and they don't want to take the test in case people find out they're undocumented and they get sent back home but they are you know they're telling the folks even if you're undocumented it's it's not going to affect you but still that's that's something that um it has to be broken within the Hispanic community, that fear of being deported if they find out that you are undocumented. And right. that's the biggest thing with the Hispanic community.
0: Right. Yeah. Nobody wants to get put into a database for any reason, I don't think. <laughs> exactly. And especially mm-hmm. not to, to get gotcha'd. So yeah, I could I could appreciate that. Wow. Especially with all mm-hmm. the rhetoric that's been spread the last several years about, you yeah. know, kicking them out and building the wall and, you know, all that stuff. It's I, I get that. I get that. Mm-hmm. That's, that's mm-hmm. a tough battle to fight. Um, I had a question and it's all, and it's gone now because it's, I, I think I've got senioritis for 2020 and I just want it to end and my brain is mush now. <laughs> oh
1: yeah, I know. It's a lot.
0: <laughs> but, um,
1: you get thought and then people talk over you, then you forget your thought. Hey, I'm there. I know.
0: <laughs> uh, but I will, I'll shift gears instead and I'll, I'll ask about what the future is for, accept and for the for the overall movement are you are you inspired are you um discouraged is there motion in one direction or another like how's how's it moving
1: it's moving pretty good you know the pandemic has I think has affected everybody you know mm-hmm. we see less clients in person that we used to see but we you know we like I said we still service them via telehealth but um, we're we're forging on, and we're just trying to say, oh, God, I hope this pandemic is over Well, sometime next year so we can get back to normal. But I think our new normal is not going to be the normal that we knew in the past. But, um, you know, our programs are still going well. We, we anticipate being funded again next year because our funding stream always ends uh, March 31st, and then you have to reapply for the grant, and then you get reinstated for April 1st. So we feel pretty confident that, we will still be, be funded, but um, we're just trying to stay up and stay positive and let our clients know that we're there for them and everything's going to be okay. This will be over soon. So that's kind of where we're at. We're just trying to forge on, be positive, help our clients the best way that we can and let them know that we, we care for them and we'll take care of them as the best we can, you know, during, during um, all the stuff that's going on. And then you mentioned too earlier, Jake, about the racial divide and, all the stuff that's going on. I'm just, I'm just hoping and praying that hopefully next year, maybe things might get better, but you know, we just got to pray and hope for the best in that, in that particular area.
0: Yeah. It's, it, it's an encouraging message and it's, and it's one that I think breathes a lot of, um, uh, togetherness, right. And, and consensus, that, you know, we don't, we don't have to fight We're all God's children, you know, that if that's the message, then, you know, let's, let's ditch the uh, judgmentalism based on outward appearance and that kind of thing. I -hmm. do remember my question. It was going to be about, you've said repeatedly now undetectable, meaning you can't, you can't pass it. um, You're not sick with it, but it's not Mm -hmm. gone. So we hesitate to use the word cured. We haven't cured AIDS, but for all intent and purpose kind of sounds like maybe we're getting
1: there. We're getting there, yes. It, we can't We can't say it's cured. The doctors will not use that term. And I remember in my church a few years ago, we had a young man that got up and said, I'm cured of HIV AIDS. And I'm saying, oh, Lord, it would have to be the Sunday my husband wasn't there. And that was the Sunday I was preaching. I said, Lord, how am I going to handle this? <laughs> ah! So I tried to play it off this way, Jake. I said, you know what, brother so-and-so, I said, hey, look. If we, if you are definitely healed by God, you got it like, like the leopards. I go back to leopards who went and showed themselves to the priest that they were clean. I said, you just got to go to the doctor and get him to sign off on it, man. And I said, man, you're going to get on the road mm-hmm. and let people know that God is the healer. But he was definitely undetectable. And I he was believe in God for the healing, but I have yet to see the doctor's affidavit. You know what I'm saying? On so- that. So, so you know, but undetectable is a good thing. It's a very good thing. Like I said earlier, you can't pass it. We still recommend condoms um, if you stay on your medications. Um, and then we have this um, this campaign called U equals U. So if you're undetectable, you're untransmittable. So that's where we're trying to get people to get is to get to be undetectable so they can't transmit this disease to other people that they, you know, may have relationship with.
0: I'm trying to figure out how to phrase this uh, or package it, I guess. Is it undetectable as long as you're taking medication? Is that it? Yes. Okay. You
1: have to stay on your meds, right? Because once you get off those meds, your viral load goes up. So what okay. happens with um, undetectable, it keeps your viral load down so those so those little um, the HIV virus cannot mutate in the body as long and you know or re- replicate in the body as long as you 're taking those antiretroviral drugs. but once you get off of those drugs, then the viral load goes up, and your T cell count goes down, and then you 're no longer undetectable.
0: do we know if there's a period of time that you can be undetectable? And then the virus is gone, or is it like nobody wants to roll those dice to find out?
1: If it's gone, Mm -hmm. if the virus is gone. No, the virus is is still there, but it's very minute. So you really can't see it, but it's still in the body. So you just have to stay on those meds to keep that under control. So something similar, like may like maybe you have high blood pressure mm-hmm. and the doctor prescribes um, a high blood pressure med. And then say your blood pressure is 200 over 100. But once you start t- taking that medication, your blood pressure comes down and you're normal. You, you know, you're like 120 over 70. However, if you decide, I don't want to take these blood pressure medicines anymore, then you're, you're high blood pressure goes back up and that's very similar right. to how the HIV uh, medications work.
0: Okay. Yeah. I was thinking cancer, like it goes into remission. That's the the phrase we use. We don't say we're cured. We say I'm in mm-hmm. remission. I've been in remission for 20 years or whatever it is. Uh, but there's mm-hmm. always that chance that, that it can recur it can somewhere cure. else or, okay. All right. I, I get it. That makes yep. more sense to me now.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um. I, I know we had that little technical glitch in the middle there, and we lost a minute. No, no, no it's fine. Um, I wanted to be respectful of time because I know we, you know, we budgeted this for about an hour, and we're we're coming up uh, on it. I, I want to ask: Is there, okay. is, there um, is there something that you you would really wish to impart upon the listening audience? One thing more than anything else, in order to give them a sense of hope and inspiration and encouragement, and invite them to, you know, maybe either not be afraid. But also yes. do something. What would those two things be? What What are you not not afraid of? What can mm-hmm. you do? And then what's your what's your big thing that you want to send them?
1: The big thing I would want to send them is to if you ever encounter a person um, with HIV and AIDS, try to understand, get get educated about it, so you're not afraid. That's the thing, and you can call Accept if you're in the Nevada area. Um, and 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 then if you If they're a close friend or if they're a relative, really try to love them unconditionally. And that's what a lot of them need. You would be surprised, Jake, at some of the, um, when we were were meeting in person at our health education risk reduction support groups of people that have HIV and AIDS, I just hug them. And they're then they're just like oh my god you're hugging me you're not afraid no I'm not afraid to hug you, and uh, I think that would be the the message I would send be like Jesus was just love people he loved the leopards. he loved the prostitutes he loved everybody and I think that's how we have to be I mean that would be my 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 pan, uh, not Pandora's box that would be my panacea yeah. Um, for this nation is just to love people where they're at and try not to be afraid of them. Try to get educated because you can't, you cannot get HIV from um, sitting on a toilet that an HIV person has has sat on. You can't get it when you eat with them or fellowship with them. You can't get it if you kiss them on the cheek. So people really need to know that. And I have um, one client he passed away not too long ago, unfortunately, because he had liver cancer. He didn't die of HIV AIDS he died of something else mm. but he was he was telling me that some of his relatives several years ago, when he would go um to their Thanksgiving dinner, they would make sure he had a paper plate and plastic utensils oh, good grief. Not, they would not let him eat off of uh their diet you know their china and he they would not let him drink out of their glasses.
0: We're not there yet. I
1: mean, and this is like, this was, you know, maybe about three, four years ago. So 2017, 2016. And so there's still people out there like that. They just, they just don't know. I hate to call them ignorant, but they just don't know. And then the education would be a big thing.
0: That's, it's beautiful. I, I love what you said there about loving people. I think, I think we need more of that. And it's not just in this realm we're in the mental health realm. It's, you know, it's a, it's in a yeah. whole lot of other realms. <laughs> I'm not going to go talk to those people mm-hmm. over there. Cause they might give me their, what their Republicanism, their, their Democrat beliefs. It's like, a, like I'm not, Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, it's not really how it works. <laughs> Love them anyway. Um, that's, that's yeah. really great. Well, you know what? I super appreciate you carving out the time. I know that, um, we connected um, a couple of well, actually, I connected with a couple of your staff members like many months ago before the world ended, and mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then several months later we hooked back up. And um, just last week, your your staff gave my staff a, a training on how to make proper referrals and gave some some base knowledge and and I really appreciate the heck out of that. And I just thought it was it was special enough that. More people need to hear the message. because uh, 'cause we're trying to we're trying to break down walls, you know, we're trying to eliminate some of the, the hyperbolic uh, belief systems and the division and eliminate misinformation. So, you know, if we can do that through a podcast and a conversation, then, you know, let's let's help make the world a better place, you know? Make Earth Absolutely, better.
1: Absolutely, Jake. And we appreciate meeting with your staff. They were wonderful. It's your partner, is it Lindsay? That's Lindsay, your partner.
0: Yep, Lindsay yeah. Bell. mm mm-hmm.
1: She is so wonderful. I said, Lindsay, ahead. I, I said, Jake told us all about your agency. I said, but do you have anything to add? She says, Nah, I probably don't. If Jake told you all about it, I probably have nothing <laughs> else to add. <laughs> but they were so attentive, you know, attentive and you know, ask questions, and we just appreciate you for um, giving us this open door to and allowing us to talk to your staff and our immediate this podcast. This is just awesome.
0: A lot of work to and, do.
1: Yeah, and you guys do a great work in the mental health. And, you know, I'll just maybe end on this note, unless you have any other questions. Mental health also is a big stigma, as you know, mm-hmm. yes especially in the African-American community. I mean, I've heard in the church, I've heard preachers say, oh, just get over depression. You know, you can just pray and get out of it. And I'm saying, oh, you know what? No. Because I have suffered with depression. Still do, you know. And I have to take my medications, which I do. Um, but it's just so sad that you would, you know, some people are still so... And this guy, I mean, he has a mega church and he's saying this stuff. And I'm like, you know what, dude? Wouldn't you rather someone be on antidepressants or um, you know some sort of medication to kind of keep them all right, or, or would you rather see them you know put a gun to their head and blow their brains out? So that right. yeah. totally. so to me, and, and I and I and I do talk about mental illness and, and um, you know my trials and tribulations with it, and I'm not a real I'm not ashamed to let people know that you gotta get help. I mean, God can heal you if He wants to, but listen, I also believe in medicine, and I believe that Luke was a physician. Yep one of the disciples he had if he had a doctor on his disciple team then hey you know what i'm saying
0: i think i think uh i'm gonna i'm gonna end with a quote from my pastor louis Locke, who regularly says god answers Mm -hmm. prayers with people and some Ah. of those people are uh physicians some of those people are carpenters some of those people are chefs some of those people are you know whatever they do in life and if you're in need maybe one of those people is a counselor. Maybe one of those people is an agency founder like yourself, you know, providing support and resources. And, and I think, you know, as, uh, if, we're, if we're followers of the New Testament and, you know, Jesus leaving behind the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit connects people with God, uh, invariably we connect people with people. And, you know, uh, certainly miraculous things can happen. And I think more often than not, we overlook the common miracles provided as God works through people to give them resources and their, and their insights and encouragement and wisdom. So um, mm-hmm. you're a hundred percent right. Yeah. Access the things that are in front of you or next to you or, you know, right across the street from you. So that's a really good message. Thank you for that.
1: Um, oh, you're so welcome. And, yeah, and thank you, Jake, for the wonderful work that you folks do. uh, I see what your staff gets their inspiration from. You're you're quite a man, and I'm not trying to blow your head up, but you you really are a wonderful asset to this community, and we appreciate you so much.
0: Well, I hope one day I don't have to be because we'll just be so healthy that uh, I can go uh, paint walls or hang drywall for a living.
1: Uh I don't know if that's going to happen soon. I'm not trying to be a pessimist, but that would be great if that would
0: happen. I'm tired of the job security. Everybody get well. (laughs) Love each other. All right, Gwen, I I sure appreciate you. Thank you so much for your time. And um, uh, on behalf of the, our Naga Notes family and our Zephyr Wellness family, uh, now around the world with Nkembo Kiala doing his uh, Naga Notes Africa, and whoever's going to pick up Naga Notes Cambodia, because I know that's coming too. Uh, we're all very excited, and we thank you for listening. Please share this around. It doesn't do any good locked up in our heads. Uh, so bless a neighbor with the uh, – The gift of wisdom and encouragement. Uh, We will see you next time. Thanks. Bye-bye.
1: Bye-bye.